Welcome to the Trish and Sarah Wrestling Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Trish. And this is our podcast. We talk about wrestling news and various topics from different promotions, primarily AEW, but also New Japan, Pro Wrestling, WWE, and topics from around the wrestling world. Whatever we find interesting, and we hope you will too. We are recording this on Sunday, January 21st, 2024, and we are going to kick things off this week with the biggest news of the year so far, although the year is quite short, and possibly some of the biggest news we have going for a while, which is that uh, Kazuchika Okada has made the decision to leave New Japan Pro Wrestling after close to 20 years as a wrestler there and 12 years as their main guy. Um, and we want to thank very much the uh, Keeping It Strong Style podcast, the Super Jcast podcast, Brian Alvarez, Dave Meltzer, Sean Ross Sapp, all of their different reporting contributed to us in terms of how we're going to recap this. So, uh, The infamous black New Japan Pro Wrestling logo appeared on Twitter at 11 a.m. Tokyo time on Friday, January 19th, which was 9 p.m. New York time on Thursday, uh, announcing that Okada had given notice to New Japan that he would not be renewing his contract and he would be leaving them at the end of his contract period on January 31st. Um, they did announce that he would be appearing against Tanahashi on February 11th in Osaka, and he would also make appearances on February 23rd and 24th in Sapporo, although the matches he's going to have and his opponents have not been announced for those shows. Uh, the February 11th show is also uh, Will Ospreay's last New Japan show, and Brian Danielson is also wrestling Zack Sabre Jr. on that. So Trish, this is kind of a bombshell. The Super Jcast guys saw this coming. They were raising the alarms back in November, December. Um, there was that Sports Illustrated article, I think, in early December that talked about Okada possibly leaving. But it did seem as though it was a power play uh, in terms of getting Onbari out of power and putting Tanahashi in as the new president. That doesn't seem like it's made a difference there. Um, so I think we're going to kick this off by talking about the New Japan side and then move into the possibilities of where Okada could go. Um, what does this mean for New Japan Pro Wrestling, Trish? This is not good. It kind of feels like New Japan maybe were told it was coming, but maybe just couldn't believe it. This is, you know, I know Dave keeps repeating it, but it is the very first time a top guy from the top company in Japan has gone to the US. And it is a huge loss. You can't escape it. Yeah, this is the guy that was the centerpiece for their golden period, for their biggest business period from 2012 to kind of 2018, when he won the belt from Tanahashi. And that's going to be, you know, the match they're doing in Osaka is going to be 12 years to the day from when he did win the title from. So, yeah, it's a huge. And it was a huge disappointment. I think a lot of people were angry. We saw lots of that, actually. Yeah. Across yes. social media. Um, yeah. A lot of people were sad. I think, for me, the, the resounding feeling was disappointment. And it wasn't just disappointment in terms of, you know, not supporting a wrestler. Because at the end of the day, he can make a lot more money in the US right now. That's just the nature of it. So this that's where the business has changed because you've got, you know, when he was looking around potentially earlier, 2018, when they went to WrestleMania and watched uh, Nakamura, he was earning just slightly less than the top earners in WWE. Now you've got this kind of rapid inflation in their wages due to the TV rights and AEW being successful. Right. And that means that he can acquire far more money 
in either US company than he can in Japan. Yes. And that's not just about the yen. Um, the phrase, you know, the famous yen is down. Hashtag. Hashtag. <laughs> the yen is down. It's, yeah, it's not just about the yen, but it's just about the business strategy and the way that these companies operate. Uh, Abushi Road potentially could have the capacity to pay someone that much, but they're not going to. And they have shareholders to work to and, you know, revenues to kind of support as well. And there isn't the benefit of the huge TV deal. It's kind of very similar to how we've seen baseball react in Japan to kind of this escalation in salaries in MLB, you know. We talked about it when we when we talked about the possibility right. of Okada going, how right. that's kind of been similar. But the disappointment with New Japan for me is that this isn't like a shock in terms of Okada leaving is like out of nowhere. When you look at New Japan for the last four or five years, there's been kind of failure after failure after failure. And this feels kind of like a one of the final points to it, like yeah. somewhere they've reached. It's like the destination for all these constant failures that it's kind of been. You know, the, the relationship between Bushi Road, Gato, and the wrestlers has been kind of an undercurrent that's been kind of talked about in New Japan circles, but maybe not as publicised as when there's an issue in AEW, for example. You know, we'll get right. 20 pages on that. No one's really talking about what's going on in New Japan. Right. There's been this push for more kind of a sports entertainment feel in New Japan, you know, a house of torture... Um, certain kind of street fight matches or that sort of thing. And that seems to be coming more from Bushy Road. And that's something similar that they've seen in Stardom as well. And then you've got the kind of failure to get anybody else over the hill to kind of make other stars. So when they lost Nakamura and AJ Styles in 2016, they had Naito and Kenny Omega just to step straight into their shoes. Right. So you kept that momentum going. Since 2020... Yeah, and then, yeah, you you have the pandemic, but you had Kota Ibushi, and they didn't support him in that title ring, and that failed. And then all the issues between Kota Ibushi and New Japan, you know, kind of people find it difficult to talk about, but we know they're there. Right. Then you have Will Ospreay, who vacated during COVID, and then was really never pushed as a top guy. And you can argue that you know, he didn't have the numbers like Kenny had to get New Japan to invest in him, but they still had that opportunity and they chose not to. And right. he was their number one guy with Western interest. Same with Shingo Takagi, fantastic wrestler, going to be lent on quite heavily now in terms of match quality and expectations in New Japan, but wasn't really supported and has been treated very poorly since losing that title. And then we never pushed Hiromo up to heavyweight. That needs to be done. Yeah. Um, in fact, if you're thinking about domain events, probably the biggest potential main event that they have left with that current roster is Hiromo Naito. So forget it about for the for the anniversary show. You know, if you're going to have Tanahashi Okada, maybe you run Tanahashi Naito there. But that is and should be the domain event now. And then you've got all these new guys, so it, he's not put over anybody. No. <laughs> and that's where you kind of feel like they didn't expect it to happen because... And there's rumours about whether he wants to or not, but the thing that you have to be careful of in New Japan, so you think like when John Moxley left WWE, you know, there was this big right. kind of... Right. You know, there was a big kind of like, oh, you know, this and that about him, and oh, he doesn't like this, and he's not motivated and all that stuff. But in Japan, that's always worse. You always get more of that than you do in the US. So whatever you're hearing about a guy when they leave a company in America, you're going to tenfold that when a guy leaves a company in Japan. But regardless, 
he hasn't put over any of the new guys. You know, he did the thing with Kiamia, killed Kiamia completely. Yep. They never paid it off. They did, you know, they've done nothing with Suji or Umura or Shota or any of them guys. You know, Shota not being put over by Will Ospreay feels like a huge mistake. Because it's not just a card they've done this with. They haven't put anyone over Akada or Ospreay. I mean, just David Finley, which just seems weird. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just... It just feels like they've missed a lot of opportunities in terms of their booking in the last few years. And maybe some of it's trying to rectify it now, but does it feel too little too late? I don't know. But also, it's that case of, you know, there's been an undercurrent of things kind of being mismanaged from a business side as well. And that does feel like, a, this does feel like a much bigger symptom of that. And even getting Tanahashi in place as president was not enough to keep him. Yeah. Uh, so either his mind was set or he didn't feel there was enough change in that kind of business relationship for him to continue. It's, uh, you know, it's not a good thing for New Japan. I think we can kind of both agree on that. And mm -hmm. it's one of those complicated conversations that is so funny because you have a lot of people being like, well, this is AEW's fault, right? Like AEW is <sighs> to blame that Okada's leaving New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's this Tony Khan specifically. He's poaching. I think I had, saw this today. He's poaching their talent. He's literally, and it, one of the things that's so frustrating about some of these conversations is that it makes it sound like the wrestlers themselves have no free will or agency. <laughs> like they, they're, they're subject to the whims of owners of corporations as opposed to people who are making choices about what's best for them. And I also think it does bring into that that kind of weird nuanced conversation of, you know, AEW has been a good thing for U.S. wrestling in a lot of ways, right? Like, but it has had drawbacks with the way that it has upended the system as it has existed since like 2005-ish until... 2018, 2019, where you had this surfeit of guys who were incredibly talented wrestlers who did not have the ability or were not going to get signed uh, by WWE. So you just had this incredible quality of quantity and quality of talent that were able and available to work independent promotions, to work New Japan Pro Wrestling. And that has dried up because, you know, the two major US promotions are all about hiring those guys. And, you know, it has not it's one of those weird things where it, it can be a, an overall good thing that has negative consequences for other negative consequences also, I guess would be the way I would describe it. It's kind of similar to what we're seeing in other industries in terms of they're becoming more dominant players and right. less kind of creativity and kind of mix in that field. I was thinking, you know, we talk a lot about how kind of broadcasting is merging into a few different, kind of avenues and then it leaves less room for taking risks on things or less avenues for people to explore and it kind of feels like that so that's kind of where it's scary in a way because you feel like if anyone does now get to a certain point in new japan that they will be acquired and you will see less of them so yes it is a great thing that workers are now being paid probably what they deserve Right. Well, no probably about it. What they deserve. So we're now seeing a rate of pay in wrestling start to uh, kind of rival sports or anything that would have a similar viewership, similar amount of income. And it's still far behind, but we were they were way far behind. And that was kind of impacted by having that monopoly, by having WWE own kind of everything. 
So it's great. You're now getting that kind of competition, which then leverages everyone's pay up and just helps performers to earn a living and to make enough money or to make the money that they deserve. That's great. At the same time, you are going to see less of them because there's only so many top spots. Right. So we're used to seeing Okada wrestle these huge matches in the Tokyo Dome and that kind of aura that comes with that. Is that going to be replicated? And we'll talk about this a bit more. I don't know. It's it's a shift to kind of more of a one dominant style than the kind of global influences. Yes. And it means people are getting picked up quicker as well. So people aren't spending as much time in other places. So this is not exactly an example of that. But in general, it will mean with the independence that you mentioned, we're not seeing people develop for years and years and years and travel and do different kind of journeys to these main companies as much as what we did when AW started with WWE. We're seeing people come through the indies and very quickly being picked up. So it's going to be a different source of development, a different style. You, I don't see, think you'll see as much variation as what you have done in the past. But these things tend to run in cycles. Yes. I guess it's just a question of whether they will run in cycles or not, considering the way the rest of kind of media landscape's changing and other parts of life are changing. And that's the kind of the scary thing. Yeah, with New Japan, they can pick up, they can use the fact that they are the number one company in Japan Right. To pick up potentially other talent. You know, people have talked about, will they pick up Kiyomiya from Noah? Probably. Will they pick up, you know, Nakajima? Not necessarily been a long-term draw, but has been a very short-term draw in his time with All Japan. Could they make a play at Kento Miyahara? That would maybe difficult, but he is an incredibly strong babyface. There's different options. So they have still, they are still the main kind of player on that ecosystem it's just depends how do their domestic fans see it this will impact probably western interest in new japan because western fans a lot of fans they might not have actually seen they might just see wrestle kingdom once a year they look at new japan and they see akada they see osprey in the last few years right you know they may see tetsuya naito because of other people talking about him probably more than that but they don't have that same kind of aura around him that the japanese fan base do so it'll be interesting to see what is the opinion of the domestic fan base and what is the difference to the Western fan base and will that be different? Because their focal point seems to be on expansion in Southeast Asia and their domestic business and then using their US shows in kind of the combination with AEW to draw that Western audience for the strong events rather than trying to get so much them invested in shows. You know, they're not watching Road 2s anymore. Yeah, we don't have this. No one's turning on World so much. Oh, there's a few of us. But most people aren't <laughs> turning on World and still watching Road 2s every week or watching you know, the smaller events. People are just turning up for the bigger shows. So if they use that international impact just for them and they bring over the international names for that, then they can still kind of maybe cater for that interest. But the bigger thing is what do they provide for their domestic market? Well, and regardless of, you know, the talent changes, and this is, I think, one of the things where I hear this argument about poaching, and I'm just like, if the guy's decided he's going to leave and he wants more money, you know, is Tony Khan or Triple H supposed to go, oh, sorry, you know, we don't want to damage the Japanese wrestling scene? Like, it it just doesn't work like that, you know? Like, it, it... And I also find it funny because you see a lot of people who are like, yes, the larger companies should collude with each other to keep wages down. (laughs) 
like that's the flip side of that, guys, right? Is you're saying that Tony Khan should say, "Oh, I won't pay him because like it might hurt my business partner." Like that's not not a good thing for the wrestlers. Like we don't want that. So, like you know, it's going to be interesting to see. We talked about I don't remember which one time it was, but we talked about the changing landscape of WWE possibly and their desire to get more involved in in Japan possibly mm-hmm. impacting the strength of New Japan's relationship with AEW um, and giving them a little bit more, you know, leeway in terms of how they do that. I, I don't know if that's going to still be the case. Like, this is just, this is a big, going to be a big change. Like, I do think that, the reason why there is so much emotion about this is it kind of brings to a close that kind of golden era and that relationship of the Western fan to this era of New Japan. And it's like oh, a realisation that it's at the end. Yeah. And, I, you know, and maybe it felt like that way with, with the roll call as well. So that kind of finality sometimes can be more impactful than kind of that gradualization of things happening. So I do think that's a lot of it, but it's not poaching. At the end of the day, he's more than aware of how much money and how much of an increase Osprey's going to make. I'm sure he's probably aware of how much Kenny and the Bucks make. Right. Uh, I'm sure he's aware of how much Nakamura makes. Right. You know, if you're going to compare all of the uh, of some of his friends in uh, in the US, so and then it's just a case of where does he go? So yeah, WWE it's a different regime now. They're looking for different things. They have that deal with Abima, which TV, as I'll say, is very interested in. They're not doing great. You know, their numbers no. are consistently poor. I've heard, you know, I've read numerous complaints about different things from commentary to kind of the hang time from when it's screened in the US to Japan this week. But they could really use something to kind of make that deal and possibly you know end up with more money out of it because that's the whole thing with tko it's whatever can drive them to increase their revenue correct so if that's what they're looking for they've just got back into the japanese tv market could they look for a bigger deal perhaps on the other side of that would it change anything so a lot of it's made of the fact that nippon baseball lose so many players to the mlb but yet mlb interest hasn't grown dramatically to the point where it's destroyed kind of interest in Nippon baseball. In fact, six of the uh, 30 teams in the top 30 attendances are all Japanese league teams last year. So the way that they consume in Japan is maybe slightly different from others. But they aren't short of doing stuff to kind of impact on a global market, even when they're looking at US TV numbers and this UST upcoming TV deal. You know, they ran Jinder Mahal and Seth Rollins last week. And everyone's like, oh, why are they running it? And obviously that's had some some consequences. But one of the big things this year is that their India media deal uh, with Sony is up at the end of the year. And that was a deal that previously went from 28 million to 50 million. So they will want to make more than 50 million on their next deal. So that's kind of really critical for them. So it's always about using these talents to kind of grow in those marketplaces. And they are, it's probably much more of a thing than it was five, ten years ago. You know, that India deal is bigger than kind of a deal for NXT. Yeah. That's crazy. So there is a potential to do that. And I think with Triple H, there's definitely that thing of trying to prove that they can use a Japanese superstar 
and actually be successful. So with Nakamura, he was very much invested in him when he came into NXT, pushed him as NXT champion. His debut, you know, I was at that one, it sold out so quickly. I think the resale on it was at one point up to $410 getting price. I'm not sure there's been another event like that. <laughs> I'm not sure since at all. Yeah, so, that's crazy. Yeah, so, and then he goes to the main roster and Vince... That's no, that's it. He hasn't. Run, they win the Rumble, Royal Rumble. He's the he, he's sorry. He is the only person to win the Royal Rumble and then not win the championship. And um, that was when they made a decision on him. And then, yeah, they gave him a little bit of a push when they were trying to attract Okada last year. Yep. Uh, the whole the chaos. You know, I will bring chaos to you, kind of things that Nakamura was saying on TV. But I do think it is Triple H that would really, really want to kind of make that happen. Could he do it in that environment? I don't know. He would certainly be promoted in a way, in terms of the the videos and that sort of thing. The biggest thing for Akada is his talking. Right. He's not charismatic in the way that Nakamura is. No. Now upset some people. <laughs> but he's not. You know, he's there's a reason why he had a manager for so long in Japan. He's not a great promo in Japan either. That's well, why I think we We've seen this with certain talent in um, AEW even, right? Like Penta mm -hmm. is someone, I don't need to know what Penta is saying. I don't speak Spanish. If Penta mm -hmm. gives a promo in Spanish, I don't know the words. But Penta's got so much charisma and so yes. much ability to, to communicate with his body that I get the gist of anything he's trying to get me to understand, right? Some people are extremely, incredibly gifted at that. And I don't think it's outrageous to say that Okada's not necessarily one no. of them. No, he's not. So you have to kind of deal with the challenge of that. But also, you know, his body's not what it was. He's not that old, but he's been wrestling at that style for a long, long time. And, we, you know, we're seeing other guys break down in that style. And Nakamura was breaking down. That's why he went there. But, yeah, the biggest challenge for him will be his charisma and how you then adapt him to a screen to kind of um, to solve that, to kind of cover for that. You know, he's a fantastic in-ring wrestler. He does have an aura about him, but that is all going to be about presentation. Right. And, you know, it'd be similar if you went to AEW. So AEW are used to him coming in, doing a few dates a year, and you can maintain that. He doesn't have to do that much, and their audience think of him one way. It's very right. different when you're seeing a guy week after week after week. Yep. And does that maintain the same? And then the other thing I think... <laughs> It's kind of funny because there's always this thing out there. I think there's a Kevin Kelly thing about being super serious kind of Japanese wrestlers yesterday. But people see him as a really serious wrestler. A lot of the Western fan base, they view him just in that mode, you know, and they think about him and the Akada matches at Dominion and Wrestle Kingdom uh, with Omega. They don't always think about what he is when he doesn't have the championship. Right. You know, Balloon Akada. Right, with red hair running around in 2018 because he, you know, after he doesn't have the the title, and kind of what that was, and then you know, King of Pro Wrestling when he's running around making this horrific belt and blowing things up and all. I don't know what he was doing, but he really <laughs> struggles when he doesn't have a championship, when he's not the guy, and I can't see him. Maybe he. Maybe they could run with him in AEW, but you're doing it at other people's detriment, and it's difficult. But it'll be really interesting that he's never really not been the guy 
and last six months in New Japan, he wasn't the guy and he faded into the background. Right. So how do you avoid that as a weekly character while still presenting him with an aura or this character that people think about in their minds? Because I think that's going to be the big challenge for him and Will. Uh, if they were well, Will isn't going to be an AEW, but potentially him and Will, if they go to AEW, is people have a set opinion on who they are, right? And Osprey's not going to be wrestling twenty five minutes every week. No, it's not happening. It's TV. That's how it works. Arcada is not going to be wrestling, you know, these big matches every single week. How do you keep that special? Can you present him like a Brock Lesnar and bring him every few weeks? AEW are never great with that. Yeah. Now, we, we have that hangman clip for a reason. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that's our clip, right? But yeah, they're really good at bringing people in and out successfully and keeping them at the top level. So that will be kind of, that would be a really interesting thing on how you maintain that and you make him a top guy, especially if he doesn't have a title. And then you have the challenge of, would he be successful money-wise? So when he went to Philadelphia, you were at that show, right? You go to Philadelphia? Yes. 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 Okay. So he sold a ton of tickets in that last week. But does that replicate across your business? Or is that he's a special guy coming across? It's very much different doing that week to week. And will he have a ratings impact? So ratings-wise, most of the guys that have come across from New Japan have struggled to have any sort of impact. So Kenta, you know, Suzuki matches. That Akada tag actually did pretty poorly. Um, the only one that I can think of that's exception was the Tomohiro Ishii match with Chris Jericho. Right. So you really do have that issue where this is a TV year and you'll have that initial spike for anyone joining, whether it's Osprey or Okada or Mercedes Monet. But after that, they need to, they will have to focus on people that are driving their numbers at that time or who traditionally have drove that number because their biggest thing this year is getting that TV deal. So he would need to sustain straight away. And that's really difficult. It doesn't happen. It's been well, very, very few and far between. Even Adam, someone like Adam Copeland, who's been on TV in 10 years, wasn't yeah. able to do that. So. No. No, I think it's, you know, if you want to look ahead and be like, okay, what is this going to look like, right? And I think they've been planning to have Osprey for a very long time. I don't think, I understand there was all that discussion and, and you know, what I think was sort of cover uh, about Osprey potentially, you know, wanting to fight Seth Rollins, wanting to go from <laughs> WWE. I think they just had the expectation that Osprey was going to be coming in, and they were they've been planning for that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the same is true of Okada. I don't know that they have a plan in place. And I think for someone like Dish, you kind of have to, right? You, you know, sure. this is going to be like September t- or August twenty one all over again, right? Where you suddenly have <laughs> these giant stars showing up, and you know the guys that you're. They're not making a long-term impact. The guys that your audience grew to love and care about suddenly take a back seat and don't get as much TV time as they used to. And, you know, I think we saw that AEW, for a lot of reasons, some of them backstage mess-related, were not as great as integrating those folks as they could have been, right? I think Mm -hmm. Danielson probably was the most successful in terms of just coming in and being a stone-cold murderer in some ways, but... (laughs) You know, we saw what happened with Punk, and I think Adam Cole has been at best hit or miss, right? So 
you know, you're going to have these guys come in. Like, what is the plan for them? Like, how are you going to incorporate them and, and integrate them? How are you going to ease language barrier issues with Okada himself? How are you going to make it easier for him to translate to US TV wrestling? Which Kenny Omega has often talked about how challenging that was for him and the other elite yeah. when they showed up because they'd never wrestled on US television before. And that was a completely different style for them. Um, thinking about commercial breaks, thinking about the hard cam. I mean, there's always those jokes about NXT, but it's legitimately a thing. You know, yep. New Japan Pro Wrestling has great camera angles, partially because they don't do that, right? That the camera follows the wrestling and not the other way around. So I just think there's a lot to this and it it will take a lot of resources to make sure that it's carried off, if it happens to make sure that it's carried off smoothly. And I sometimes worry a little bit that those resources aren't there. So, I know we, we talked about this all in a week, but your opinion... So, I look at it, and I think this happening right now, and people say, oh, you know, you said there's room for Okada in AEW, right? There's I room did, yes. for Will Ospreay, <laughs> Okada, Mercedes Monet, all to come into AEW. And from a perspective of, do you want these people on your roster? Absolutely, there's room for them to be in AEW. And you think, okay, so in the last few years, they've lost Cody. Yeah, they've lost Punk. Well, they didn't lose Punk, they had to fire Punk. But <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. It's just a weird description that people use. Andrade's just gone. That frees up another slot, potentially. Right. But my big thing with this is, and you've just mentioned one of them, is they made a hash job of integrating Cole, Danielson, and yes. Punk, and then everyone else that followed. And they became over-reliant on that quick fix. Yes. And they brought in, you know, the Key Fleas, the other guys from NXT into, um, uh, what's Cole's group? What was Cole's group then? Undisputed uh, Era? Undisputed right? Era, yeah. That's the one, right. And they kept bringing in guys and bringing in guys and bringing in, you know, whoever. And they had this audience that became addicted to the quick fix, but they also lost a large chunk of their original audience. Agreed. Yeah. You know, so in 2021, so I've matched up the two parts of the year, so... If you look at April 2021 to kind of 18th of uh, August, which is the week before Punk came in, right? They, and then to the following year, same period, taking out the preemptions, you know, they were down 8% viewership. Okay, you can look at loss of cable, 7%, 8%, okay. Demo about 10%. But the big difference was, so you have this audience that became like addicted to kind of, oh, they put these names in the matches, or we're getting this name, or this name, and this name. It's right. like collecting right. Pokemon, you know, like, gotta catch them all. And you had, like, 18 to 34. Okay, that grew. So that went up, like, 6.10%, uh, 11,000 people. But then in their older age group, so their original fan base, they lost in 35 to 49, they lost 17.3% over right. that same period of time. And I think they are matchable up areas because, in terms of the year, because you had different impacts, but you also had that second year having the benefit of the additional lead-in advantage as well. And then in women, uh, 35 to 49, they lost 24.2% of their audience. Nearly a quarter of their audience were lost in that year. And to me, most of that was because the people that you invested in, the Orange Cassidys, the Eddie Kingstons, the Darby Allens, the Adam Pages, <laughs> you can probably name them off your list, they're, the people that they were invested in, you were then told that they were worthless. Right. All these new guys were more important. They struggled. Kept beating the, them. Yeah. Kept beating them. Beat them, yeah. So Punk beat, you know, the four I listed were Punk's four pay-per-view. Oh, and MJF. You know, that was his run of pay-per-views, right? Darby, Eddie, yep. MJF, Hangman. Yep. All right? 
then you had someone like the biggest example was when they did the uh we'll come back to this one later yeah the owen so you had jeff hardy beating darby allen like what what on earth was that the also, Owen, to me, in that that year was one of the most outrageous. Like, that was like, what are we doing here? Like, why is every single AEW original guy getting killed? Like, it, yeah. made, it made no sense. It was such a bummer. Like, it was just, it was such a huge error. And this is the thing. So you can say, oh, there's room in terms of their slots. Okay. Well, there's two things to that. So at the moment, the TV feels fresh because there's more opportunity. Yes. But is there opportunity for people to progress upwards currently as well? That's the question. So Daniel Garcia comes out of that tournament, and now he's playing secondary to FTR, right? So he's not moved upwards. Jay White does some great character work in the kind of back end of the CC. He's now doing this trios thing. You've got Hook, right? What are you going to do with Hook going forward after this? Do you have a plan? Are you able to elevate him? Are you able to give him the TV time? Because the way I look at it is this. You've got Mercedes Monet potentially coming in. She's going to take up one segment a week, potentially right. additional to the women's segments, what's been talked about, okay? You've then got Will Ospreay. They're going to want to push him hard, coming up, to, especially because we're coming up towards All In. And at the start, you're probably going to put him with... Well, they're going to put him with John Moxley first. Yeah. You're going to put him with draws, because the idea... The, the way that they generate draws is by putting them with other draws. That's right. been the way they've done it since the start. That's how MJF became a guy. It's how Hangman's finally converted his numbers for so that's what they're going to do with him. So he's on TV. You get a Carter, you're going to have to put him on TV on a regular basis in another slot. At the moment, you've got guys step back. So you've got Chris Jericho step back. He's going to come back on TV because it's a TV year and he is a huge draw, especially in male 35 to 49. Yes. They're going to put him back on TV in a regular slot. And he's going to want that slot back. Danielson, Danielson's kind of happy playing around on um, Collision. But he'll want to be on Dynamite at times as well. John Moxley's not going to sit around in the background forever. No. You know, biggest, you know, one of the biggest draws they have, especially, you know, good, great history in uh, drawing women as well. And we'll get to later why that's more important now than ever. Mm. So you've got him coming back in. Max is going to come back in. Yes. Yeah. Max isn't going to probably be able to demand half the show now, considering that the whole kind of belief that his, the numbers go down with him not around isn't kind of paying now. But we'll see how that works in the long term. But he's still going to want one of the big callers in the show. Then you've got other guys, you know, coming back. Cole, when he comes back into thing, you know, we all know Adam Cole is, you know, someone like Tony really likes to push. And at the moment, they kind of they've already segued that kind of group off into the side, which has been great, actually. Oh, um, great decision. Doesn't need to be leading the show. You know, it's it kind of looks really silly with him running around as a manager and half crooked. It's just. It's not a great look. Um, so, yeah, that going into the background, fine. And they'll quickly get jumped by the Bucks as the secondary heel thing, probably in the company very soon. So that's fine. But he'll want that spot on the show. So you you keep adding up numbers. Christian Cage, Adam Copeland, you know, none of these guys are being paid small amounts. I mean, Mercedes is not going to be paid a small amount either. You know, he loves Tony Storm. That's another segment. So... Basically, what I'm saying is, is with these guys coming in, this time has to go from somewhere. Right. And it's going to fall just like, and it's not just the time. And it's the thing. So everyone goes, oh, they'll fix the time. They've got collision. Collision's not like, it's not like we're on SmackDown. They're not equivalent. No, You go not. on collision, you don't get seen. There's a reason why only FTR and uh, House of Black live on Collision Island, specifically. Everyone else comes off and goes back on. Because you need to be seen by all the different parts of the fan base. So you have to find that time elsewhere. But also, you have to 
have the people for these guys to beat. So right. if Mercedes come in that division, yeah, okay, there's people that you can run through. Okay, fine. But it's the same thing. So if you bring in Will Ospreay and Okada at the same time, who are they beating? Who are you sacrificing? Right. And you know that it's going to fall on the original guys. Right. You know that it's going to fall on the same guys. You, you don't, and these you guys don't think that, the ceiling already. You don't think Malachi is going to take a, take a, take a beating here? <laughs> He's going to go down for Okada? You don't think uh, Miro's going to job to Osprey? You don't see it? Don't no. Know. No, you don't, do you? You know, come on. Like, but that's the thing. So everyone thinks about, oh, there's room for them at the inn. Well, yeah, there is room for them at the inn, but somebody else is going to be sleeping under the bed. You know? You, right. And it's generally going to be these people that you can't keep beating and beating. And that includes John Moxley. You can't keep beating and beating him because eventually you do lose that. Or well, especially you if you're not doing anything with the people who beat him, right? No. And we've talked about that, like, you know, they're not, nothing's happening with those guys, right? So. Yeah, and you, you can't put that ceiling on. So, you know, we've seen recently Orange Cassidy has hit that ceiling. Yep. And instead of elevating upwards, he's kind of gone static and is now kind of the secondary guy in a, in a feud again with an XWB guy that he should be higher than. Yeah, he's right. the secondary feud to that, in, in secondary guy in that feud to that group. And, you know, Eddie Kingston, you've got his moment to do, you know, Darby Allen. After the sting run, where do he where does he end up? He's probably right. gonna put some of these guys on. John Moxley, you know, he's not he's in the prime of his career. He's not that old. People talk about Moxley sometimes like he's forty five. <laughs> <laughs> he's like a decade younger. Like, come on now. They do. They they like He gives us strong daddy vibes. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you you're gonna get us in trouble with that conversation. But uh... <laughs> But he's not that young. He is in the prime of his career, you know. And it's the same thing when they talk about, oh, this guy should have the world title, that guy should have the world title. But what happens to the people that are carrying that stuff at the moment? We'll get to that a little bit later. So I think you have a valid point here, and I don't entirely disagree with you. I okay. think, like, I think there's definitely some validity. I think one of the challenges is, you know, and, and things obviously change significantly. Um, I don't say significantly, but we've seen some changes in the last couple of weeks that, mm -hmm. you know, made me a, a touch more inclined to, to be sympathetic to what you were saying, but it's hard for me to look at some of these TV matches that I'm watching and be like, Oh, you know, there's no room for Okada, <laughs> you know, like we've got to get that Dustin Rhodes, Christian cage match in. We, we can't hire Okada. Like that's the kind of stuff where I'm just kind of like, ah. but are they going to run those matches? Or are you going to get a car to squash another protected guy, Osprey squash, another protected guy. Right. And that's the difference, isn't it? So are we going to get that? Or are we going to get, you know, the well, Hangman-Okada match, the Okada match with the Luchadors? I don't know. This is the big question. Have we learned our lessons from 2021-22? Are we just going to repeat them again ad infinitum? Except this time with New Japan guys instead of WWE guys. Right? Sure. And sure. that's the part where that's the great unknown. Right? Yeah. And I don't know that you and I have an answer for that, Trish. No, I, I think it... It always worries me more because I always think about it's what TNA did. So TNA brought right. in person after person and they put these people at the top and they, you know, said to their people underneath or the people that had started, you know, the AJ Styles, the Christopher Daniels, Samoa Joe, you know, yes. the current yes. AEW World Champion. Yes. Was, they had the match with Kurt Angle. He was never the same after. Right. They missed their slot with him. They missed their slot with him because they, and you can argue all the reasons why it should have been Kurt and his name value. Um, except for the people that thought he was dead. Uh, have you ever heard that story? 
Yeah, he was. He once spoke to someone. They said, "Oh, um, he was in TNA, and like no one knew he was there, so they thought he was dead." Um, like someone said that to his face. Uh, it's just horrific. But you know, you can argue all the reasons as to why. But at the end of the day, they missed that chance to push their own people, and they suffered for it. And then they went. You know, Joe goes, AJ Styles goes, and becomes right. a bigger star in New Japan. And that's the risk, is you create this ceiling, you create this inability for other people to come out because you keep bringing people in and bringing people in. And they're bringing people in at top and bottom. You know, we've got potentially Tauros coming in. Right. Fantastic right. wrestler, great base. And you've got Brian Keefe now coming in part of that roster. So you're bringing in people at the top and the bottom is that you don't give room for your own people to grow. And there is a perception in, with some people in AW already that once Tony has figured out what he thinks your level is, that it's really hard to change that. Yeah. I think that's, I don't think that's unreasonable. At least in terms of, I don't think that's an unreasonable leaf to hold. I feel like the evidence is there to support that. Yeah. So when they look at their, the, their own people who are in top spots and, or who are climbing towards top spots and they don't see them progress and they see these other people come in with a less drawing history and being given more, you know, that's going to become potentially an issue of getting people to stay and then yeah. do you lose that. But that's the thing about having such an enormous roster. So it's a lot of cards to balance, but that, that's, you know, that's his job. We'll see yeah. how to go on. It's a similar thing in WWE as well. They have a lot of things to balance in that aspect. They're probably a little bit thinner on the upper mid-card top end, which makes it a little bit easier for them. Uh, yes. But it's, it's a similar issue. And what you don't want to get to... So my big thing with all this is the thing I would love to avoid is... You ended up, you know, WWE had like 230 wrestlers at one point, I think it was, yes, on their books, yes. like in a warehouse. And what you don't want to do is bend up with two American companies with kind of this huge and warehouse this, of talent, yeah, and we yeah, barely yeah. get to see them. Because as a fan, you know, the biggest thing for me is is that we won't see Okada wrestling to his kind of maximum potential as on a regular basis as much. And that's the kind of thing that you kind of think as a fan... You know, I'm not going to see so many of these people in so many different places at the the height of their powers. They're all going to be in this one place, and that's great. I get to see these matches, right? But I'm not going to see and enjoy so many things as on a regular basis as once I did. So right. Maybe that's the way I look at it. But hey, yeah, should should we be positive about something? Should we talk about some AEW and Trish, be nice? You know how much I love positivity. I've never <laughs> been hyperbolic or negative about anything a day in my life. Of course. Um, of course. And I think, so one of the things we talked about in our last episode, which was two weeks ago, was how sort of disappointed we were in the <laughs> first post-World's End Dynamite, and how it didn't seem like anything changed significantly, and how things were kind of a bummer. And there were a few things that we talked about, and I, Trish, I think we should do what the male podcasters do, okay. and we should take a little victory lap, because those guys love to pat themselves on the back. Um, <laughs> and I think we should talk about the, th there were three things that you and I discussed last episode that we wanted. One of them was more Hangman on TV. I think we I think we said Tony Khan, you could book him anytime you want to. One of the things we talked about was mustaches and how great those things were. And the other thing we talked about was how much we were missing our fun guys. And guess what happened, Trish? We got more hangman, we got more mustaches, and we got our fun guys back, with the exception of Pac, who which has not arrived, but it sounds like he's on his way. Okay? So I think it's clear that when you look at influencers in the wrestling space <laughs> and where the promoters and the taste makers of wrestling, they want to know what's hot in facial hair. They come to us, the Trish and Sarah Wrestling Podcast. This is the zeitgeist. 
for mustaches. <laughs> I actually did not think you were going to do it. <laughs> Come on. I got to listen to all these dudes endlessly congratulate themselves. I just got to lean in and have the confidence of a dude. Amazing. Um, yes. That's the last two weeks of AEW has been a better version of We Didn't Start the Fire. Let's face it. You know, yeah. <laughs> you could come up with the bit at the end where Billy Joel's just shouting out stuff. And it's like, hangman on the TV! Like, <laughs> they, they need to get Copeland in a version of that. They had like the Seriously. Edge and Christian show right, uh, back right. in like 2016. They need to get a like, let's redo a version. <laughs> get him to redo a version. Come on, Copeland. Christian's there as well. You can, you yeah, can redo the it show. Make it happen. Another version of that. Yeah. But seriously, the last couple of weeks has just been like a complete 180 from 2023 in ways that I have just enjoyed the hell out of myself, right? So it, just in the last two weeks, right, we had the Young Bucks are back and they are just little assholes, <laughs> which is the best, the best Young Bucks, right? We've had, um, they announced Sting and Darby versus the Young Bucks, which we'll get into briefly because there's a lot going on with that one that I'm just going to really have a good time with. Let's face it. Oh, yes. Yeah. Hangman was on TV (laughs) multiple weeks in a row. He had in-ring promo segments. He had backstage promo segments. He wrestled multiple times. He's all over the place. I I mean, I genuinely questioned whether we'd fallen into an alternate universe. Like, what the hell? This is great. I'm living for this. Okay. I thought it was like, yeah, I, I'm pretty much sewed into the fact that Tony was visited by free ghosts at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> like on Hangman. I, you know, I tweeted that thing out with like one of the ghosts. I'm like, this is real now. I seriously believe this. This has happened. <laughs> There's no other explanation for this. My God. Um, we... The other thing that was crazy, so the rankings are back, Trish. They announced this last night. Another topic we're going to get into. Like, what? Um, The women are getting in-ring promo time Mm -hmm. and good matches. We're seeing really good workers on the women's division coming in. You know, the camera work in general has been better and more interesting. We've got title matches on TV. We've got builds to feuds. Like... Belts are getting mixed up. I genuinely question if Christopher Daniels has gone through the back of, of the backstage area saging everything and the ghost of CM Punk has finally been exercised from this promotion. Like, like is Tony Khan out of his breakup phase where he was listening to Taylor Swift's sad songs and now he's into a new year, new me phase? I'm totally over him. Like, this is just... Let's kick it off with the rankings, Trish, because I think this is one that you and I have long bemoaned, right? The rankings... Disappeared. I don't even. I feel like it was after FTR didn't get a title match. Um, the rankings went away, right? They just went away one day. And one of the things that I think is so important to talk about when it comes to the rankings is the fact that the structure of the way AEW built title matches was around the rankings and was around dark and dark elevation, right? Mm-hmm. And so once those went away, there was no structure. It's not like they were like, oh, we have this great plan in place. It was like, we should just get rid of this and we're not gonna replace it with anything. And so then you end up with things like AR Fox having 13 title matches in a row and other like weird shit like that, right? So like the rankings were never perfect. And I think one of the things that I find so frustrating is people being like, well, the rankings weren't perfect. And occasionally you had to like suspend disbelief. And so therefore they should never exist. The rankings are a storytelling device. They're not perfect in sports. People argue about the college football rankings every year going into the playoffs. They argue about them in UFC. They argue about them in boxing. They argue, it's like, why are we pretending they're perfect everywhere? Right. It's it's a, yeah, you're right. It's a storytelling device, but they're not perfect in sports either. Right. Like, 
I think this was, you put it best, was it better when they weren't around? And the answer is a resounding no. No, they were not better when the things, and the thing about the rankings is they gave otherwise, they gave matches that had no stakes, stakes, right? Like mm -hmm. matches, like look at Hangman versus Penta and Swerve versus, um, Jeff, Jeff Hardy. Hardy that are coming up this Wednesday, right? Neither one of these are, there's no feuds associated with them. Like obviously we know that Hangman and Swerve are currently in a title program. Neither one of these matches particularly have stakes. That said, now that you've introduced the rankings and we both know that those guys want Samoa Joe, now this match has a little bit more of a stake to it, right? Because it impacts whether or not they're gonna get that title shot. You know, there's always the chance that we have a, a Brian Cage beating Hangman upset type situation. You know, it's just, it gives you, it, it calls back to what was best about the Continental Classic, which is random matchups on television suddenly have stakes again. Like, hallelujah. Like, I, 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 was I laying down in bed when I got that tweet from Tony Khan? Yes, but did I want to like rip out of bed and start dancing around? No, but I almost thought about it. Like, it, it's just a phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal, like, hallelujah, we might be back. Trish, we might be back. We just might. Uh, we just look, might be back. So, a lot of criticisms around the rankings were around dark and elevation. Well, they don't exist anymore. They have TV. They have five hours of TV. Yeah. So if you're going to go up in the rankings, you're going to wrestle on TV. And yeah. guess what? Adam Page. Seven times on TV last year as a singles wrestler. Seven times on television yeah. in 2023, folks. Okay? I need you to... That man... Again, he didn't have a mustache, so like maybe that was part of it. But like, <laughs> but like that, to, you had that wrestler in your back pocket, and that man in your back pocket, and you didn't put him on television. You put him on television seven times. And like, this is a hangman girly podcast. We are not gonna fight that in any way. But what are you? Come on, dude. Come on, dude. Seven times, right? He's gonna be up to three times this year, like this week. Yeah, he he might be up to seven times in a year by revolution. <laughs> So, you've got a TV year. This is a TV contract year. How about we have something that is a device that means your best wrestlers need to wrestle on TV on a regular basis? Right. Does that sound like a bad idea? Kenny Omega wrestled six times on TV last year as a single Trish, wrestler. This is a side note that I'm going to jump into because, okay. and this is a, I remember how I said I was going to be positive and no negativity. Mm -hmm. If God forbid, and we're all rooting for for Kenny to get better as quickly as possible. Absolutely. And, you know, Dave had some stuff in the Observer this weekend about how he sounds like he's going to be out for a while. If 2023, God forbid, was Kenny Omega's last year wrestling, the fact that that man got downplayed so CM Punk's feelings wouldn't be hurt is like, you know, Talk about being visited by three ghosts. Like, that's two of the ghosts right there. Like, that's yeah, just some bullshit. So, it was anyway, a complete... side note, but that's like, that's criminal. Like, that's freaking criminal. It was Go complete on. booking malpractice with Kenny yeah. was the most over babyface for most of the year. Right. Was in, you know, doing incredible numbers. There was no excuse for kind of what happened there, no. to be honest. Six but... matches on television, are you kidding me? Yeah, six six Go singles on. matches on TV. Six even, singles matches. You know, even John Moxley. John Moxley, you know, people think probably, you know, people say he's overexposed, potentially. But he had 20 singles matches, if you take out the Continental Classic, you know, up to November, it was up at 14, 52-week year. I don't know. So the idea of the rankings being back and these guys having to wrestle on TV and having, you know, you bring in Will Ospreay in. Will Ospreay wrestling on TV, Brian Danielson wrestling on TV, Swerve Strickland, Hangman Page, whoever, John Moxley, all your main people, Chris Jericho, you know, the Bucks wrestling, 
Although I think the box may play with the rankings, but we'll come to that. Um, <laughs> so, so hold that thought because we're going to get yeah, into Yeah, we'll come to their authority figure stuff in a bit. But you've got, you know, Darby, Cassidy, whoever. The seeing these people on TV on a weekly basis is going to make this a better show than it was last year. Yes. And the rankings will immediately do that. Because there is no dark. You can't stick Lance Archer on dark to do five wins to get a title shot. Right. It's not happening. We can't do it. And that's great. So that keeps them honest another way, but also means that you are going to see people on a regular basis, which was probably one of the major complaints last year. Yeah. You know, the other thing is... Sorry. No, no. I was going to say, one of the things that I could say, there were some hints that the rankings were coming back, but one mm. of the things they've been doing in the last couple of weeks that was noticeable was that, like, for example, I, I was mean about poor Christian Cage and, and Dustin Rhodes, but Dustin Rhodes got a TV win and a promo before he had the title match with Christian. Like, it's not just this thing where they're throwing guys who we haven't seen before in title matches. It's, it's, it, it, they've changed it slightly. Yeah, I, I don't know. I still not keen on that. But then again, my way of looking at it, so is that the ranking should be more around the world title for singles wrestlers. I don't disagree. I don't know about so much about mid titles. I, you know, the TNT belt has always been an open challenge belt traditionally, right. and that's kind of moved and sideways onto the international title. But I have no issue with the three middle belts being kind of more in feuds or in issues or just as open challenges. If you keep the rankings just for the world title, that's absolutely fine. But you can then earn them title shots. You're not doing the Garcia thing where he loses ten matches and then he wins one on Rampage and now he gets a world title shot. Yeah, you know, and they did make the mistakes sometimes with the rankings. You know, people point out Dante Martin with Pangman, it should have been an eliminator. That's a booking mistake. It's not necessarily a problem with the rankings. They it should have been title eliminator. But that was more because they wanted Hangman to have a certain amount of wins to try and please the fan base because they knew they were taking the belt off him. Yeah. Right. So that was other pressures that created that. And, you know, the FTR thing, well, maybe, you know, <coughs> it's it's one of them things where, yeah, okay, so they were number one contenders for how long, whoever, when they had the ring of honor belts or whatever, well, maybe they should have just wrestled the acclaim when they were going with faces, <laughs> you know? So there's always been other points in that. But they have somebody who's great with detail, Will Washington, in yes. their creative team there. So you have somebody, in terms of keeping them honest or keeping that detail in place or ensuring it matches with where they want to go in the storylines, they have someone with that type of brain, and that's going to really help them in this time around. Yeah. And they obviously have plans in place. So if you're bringing the rankings back and they already know that they're bringing in Osprey, for example, they know there's potential of bringing in Okada. So you should already be planning for that. So it's that thing of pre-planning coming back into AEW after years of just complete chaos and stories being chopped up, changed you know, just started in places that no one kind of understands why. Right. So that feeling of kind of momentum building because you can feel there's a long-term plan in place, that trust, it's that trust in your audience back into right. the products. And that comes with the thing, you know, talk, Dave was talking this morning about perception and AEW has to overcome that perception. One of the great ways you can do about it is you rebuild that <coughs> trust. And that's what this is about because the thing the rankings did well for me was it created momentum as in you could see something coming. Yes. And you got excited for it. It was awesome. Yeah. That was one of the best things was like, oh gosh, he's 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 climbing. Let's go. Like, let's it was a yeah. fun, stupid, I don't know. Like, I just feel like you want to complain about the rankings. The thing that I think is 
you know, the WWE idiots hate the rankings. And that alone should tell you that they're a decent device to do something with. You know what I mean? No one's looking for perfection on these things. You're allowed to suddenly take a shortcut or somebody wins a ladder match or somebody does it. Like, I'm fine with that. There's nothing wrong with those things. Like, but you have to have a consistent structure in place for your general week-to-week booking. And they have missed that for so long. And think about that ladder match, right? So everyone goes, Hangman's casino ladder match win. One, he still had that record. He got knocked yes. down the rankings because that was the storyline device they did with the 5v5, which was a late decision for many reasons with Hangman. Yes, so they yes. did that. But when he comes back in that ladder match, what people forget is four out of the five guys in the rankings with a better record right. with him were in that ladder match. Yes. He beat everybody above him yes. in yes. the rankings. Yes. That was how we knew he was coming back. We spotted that because we saw had the rankings to look at. It became That became a source for excitement because we looked at that and went, Oh my god, Moxie's in there. Oh my god, Orange Cassidy's in there. Like right. Lance Arch- We knew then that he was coming yes. back. So people look at that and they go, oh, you know, he did, he jumped this and he did what this. It gave us the excitement in the first place, and that's right. the bit you've missed when you fought back on that. So yeah, it's not gonna be perfect, but my god, it's gonna be better than what we've had in the last 18 months. Oh, please, please just give me some structure. I'm like an angry yeah. toddler. I just would like some structure. Oh and it's my like, god! And yeah, it makes them an alternative. And everything that distinguishes them away from WWE is great to me yes. because it got too close. Especially yes. in the last six months of 2020 and yes. 2023, it got far too close in the storytelling devices and things not making sense or people shrugging their shoulders and just saying, "Oh, it's fine." It's not fine because, you you know, you've got to give people a reason to invest in this momentum. And that's part of a huge thing, special for your baby faces. <laughs> and this is what we talked about last time. What's a great way for a momentum for baby faces? To be on TV every week and to win every week and to cut promos about it. And the rankings give you a reason to do that, just like they did in the Continental Classic. Yep. So, yeah. Narrative coherence, to there bring back the catchphrase. Yes. You know? that, that, that is like the podcast catchphrase. <laughs> How could we, you could just be coherent about it. Follow your own internal logic. You can do some crazy things once in a while, but like they have to make sense within the universe you've created. It's basic fiction, folks. It's not that like complicated. So moving right along to another topic, which we said we were going to discuss, uh, the Young Bucks have returned. They made their triumphant return to Daly's Place at the very end of the Homecoming episode after poor Sting put himself and Will Hobbs through a table and Darby Allen just destroyed his body with 17 different ridiculous moves. Um, Tony Schiavone pulled them both into a ra- into the ring to discuss who was going to be the opponent for Sting's last match. And of course, out come the Young Bucks with total new gimmicks, um, suits. They looked like the, the spy versus spy guys from Mad Magazine. It was spectacular. <laughs> um, there was a stare down and then that was it. And then last week we had a sit down interview. Well, before I get to that, so yes, the Young Bucks were announced as being Sting and Darby's last match, or Sting's last match, uh, the, probably the main event at Revolution. Um, the internet sort of melted down. The usual suspects melted down. There was a ridiculous number of people that were like, it should have been FTR. <laughs> and no solid reason was given as to why it should have been FTR. Uh, but apparently FTR are just supposed to do everything. Um, 
it, it came out through Meltzer and other people that Sting personally requested this match because he had the best time of his life at Forbidden Door 2021, which we talked about last episode, uh, Dudes with Attitudes uh, versus the Bullet yes. Club, right? And uh, that's what he wanted. And to me, that's one of those things that the minute Sting's like... <laughs> Yes, that's what I would like. Like, the, the argument goes away. Like, even if it had been announced that it was the FTR, and, I, you know, I as a someone who raises an <laughs> eyebrow at FTR at times, is the most charitable way to describe it, probably would have been like, really? But if Sting had come out and said, I really wanted my mat last match to be FTR, I would have been like, oh, cool, no problem. But, like, people still lost their minds and somehow seemed to think that this was, like, you know, uh, uh, like, manipulated in some way. I don't know. It was kind of ridiculous, quite frankly. Um... But this kind of all seems to play into the Young Bucks' new gimmick as they had a sit-down interview with Renee on the last Dynamite where they basically seemed to play into the worst takes on the internet of them as EVPs of AEW. Um, and Trish, this gimmick is spectacular. Like, <laughs> my, my um, favorite thing might be out of all the wrestling kind of uh, podcasters or online personalities, the person that understood it the most was Wade Keller. And if you told me that two weeks before, I would have laughed at you. It's true. Wait, like, Keller was like, oh, this is exactly what they're doing. And like, <laughs> like, he just got it. And he was just like, yeah, I'm not sure on it yet because he's never showing anything <laughs> generally at first. But he's just like, yeah, this is what they're doing. This is what they're aiming for. And it's just like, what? <laughs> Am I living in? Yeah, we're, we're definitely living in some sort of twilight zone. This is an alternate week. alternate universe theory is not disproven. But um, let, let's start with like the decision for Sting to kind of choose the Bucks. So one, we now have this thing where certain people just think the Bucks are bad wrestlers. Yeah. Which is just hilarious. Yeah. Like previously, they just wouldn't do that. They'd attack everything else, the this and that. But like, okay, yeah, fine, right. There's two things about the Bucks that clear everybody else on it. I don't care like who kind of says it. Is one, how many wrestlers say it's the most fun they've ever had? John Moxley yeah. said similar last year as well. Yes. Like a number of wrestlers have said this is the most fun I've ever had in a match. And they say it again and again and again. Yeah. The second one is is that they are the best at elevating talent. They, there is no one better elevating talent. You know, FTR have great matches, but they tend to be with people on the same level. Correct. You know, you can't name three or five matches in you know three to five matches in AEW where they've elevated somebody no. to the point where you think they're world beaters, and then you realize, oh no, it's just because they're in the ring of FTR. Doesn't happen. F it no. doesn't happen. No, FTR are very talented wrestlers. I don't ever want to put that down. They're capable of absolutely incredible matches, but they're capable of incredible matches with other tag teams. And if they have an issue with chemistry, if they have an issue with communication, they cannot overcome it. I think all you have to do is look at the disappointing series they had with the Lucha Brothers. They, you know, nothing really happened there. They had a disappointing series with, with Pride and Powerful. Like, and those are both two phenomenal tag teams, but they just simply could not overcome this sort of weird chemistry disparity. And I think that's the case with FTR. They cannot carry people to phenomenal <laughs> matches the way that the Bucks can. There's, that's, there, there's no negating this. There may be other teams that are capable of doing this, but they're not in AEW. That's it. Now, so when Sting says that he had a great time in that match of Forbidden Door, which was fantastic. Like, it was the surprise probably of the show. Very late put together because, you know, uh, Hiromu couldn't make the flight. Yep. So they took Hikaleo out and it was just uh, Sting, Darby and Shingo Takagi, who is basically like just putting replacement Kenny Omega in the match. They <laughs> wrestle so similar in some ways uh, versus the Bucks and ELP. But they put that match together pretty much last minute. And Nick is so good at putting matches together. 
you know, he's the unheralded guy. When we've spoken about this previously. Yes. There is not many people in the world better at putting them sort of matches together at him. And you're hiding kind of the the low point. So it's very been very noticeable that since Forbidden Door last year that Sting has started to see his age kind of catch up with him in yes. AEW. Yes. He's, he's not as mobile. Down. Yeah, he's he's not as mobile. He's having issues with certain things. He's he's getting hurt more. And you know, maybe you can have the third thing is that people don't really get hurt with the box either. Right. So they tend to keep people really, really safe. So there is no tag team that matches them in AEW for that. So in terms of Sting picking his opponent what, for the best kind of opponent for him, it all makes sense to me. Never mind, you want to talk in business. No tag team sold more tickets than the Bucks last year. Right. You can all lie to yourselves. It's, you know, <laughs> you can just look at two or three figures alone and you'll get that number. They sold the most merch last year in AEW. Yep. Which is insane, considering FTR had so much of the CMFTR run and all the traditional merch and so that. Yep. People don't really like that either. And people no. go on about TV ratings. Well, there's twofold for, for TV ratings. So up to 2021, mid-2021, uh, August 2021, even. The Bucks were great for TV ratings. Then you downcycled them. You told everybody they didn't matter. And you outbreak them more than anybody else. They take was, crazy ad breaks, Trish. There is no one else in that company who is a main player that takes as many ab breaks in the last year as the Bucks did. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. Like double ab break to high hell. So you don't really know what the potential is of them in key slots anymore. And you won't have to rebuild them in some ways. But it's not like anyone else is flying away with ratings either. You know, look at the collision ratings and see how the endless monotonous 30-minute main events are going ratings-wise at the moment. You know, and your, your spooky story. Um, and that's probably the other thing. So there's two other things that are really key to me in this with the Bucks. And it's one that you are giving him, you know, Sting and Darby in this case, a heel. <laughs> so yeah. you're giving him a heel. So this my big issue with AEW, and I've said it last time I say it a lot, is there are not enough real heels in this company. There's yeah. not enough people who really generate heat. And not heat when they're not supposed to have it. <laughs> but um, like when they're actually aimed as they want people to book. One of the most kind of memorable, you know, the mem most memorable stories for a babyface in the last 10 years. There's probably two of them, right? So you have Hangman and Kenny Omega. Yep. The Bucks, guess what? They were heels in that time. Yeah. Most successful period they had as well when they were yes. direct heels. But Kenny just played the heel. He didn't try to play for fun. People still liked Kenny Omega. They still knew he was great. But they trusted and believed in it enough, and he was so much of a heel that they went with the baby face, and that's what right. you want. Right. The other one, which probably may play more into this, was the authority with Brian Danielson, with Daniel Bryan. So Triple H, similar kind of things were said about him in terms of, you know, you're in a position of power, you use it. Probably actually more, way more true in that than the Bucks, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but people said, you know, he uses it, and then they made it into a character. And you can, you know, you can argue whether it overshadowed the Seth Rollins run before that or whatever, you know, after that or whatever you want to argue. Fine. But in that story with him and Daniel, it made the Daniel Bryan story much bigger. It gave him that thing to fight against. Yes. And he didn't play the face. He didn't mess around like he had in previous things and look for coolness. It was just about making that story as special as possible. And that's what the Bucks are doing. There's people going, oh, they got booed in the arena like it was like, 
Like they shouldn't have been. Yes. No, they want to yes. get booed. For fuck's sake, there is for the first time in forever there is somebody in this company that actually wants to be booed. Like we're not doing call and response. We're not doing all these other cool heel nods. I don't care. Just I want heels sometimes to be heels because that's what makes baby faces. And right. for Sting to go out as a pure baby face against someone who's playing that heel, who's going to set things in front of them, who's probably going to interfere in their quest to get the belts. You know, how funny would it be if they just came in and just stole that opportunity? You know, we're in charge now. Or we're top of the rankings because we're doing that. They uh, they oh. should absolutely take credit for the rankings coming back. Whatever. I I genuinely think like to me <laughs> they need to lean into this gimmick as hard as possible, and I genuinely want them whether it's on TV or on social media taking credit for every freaking thing that the the internet bitches about. Yeah. <laughs> like, every every rating, every, every rating, rating, every freaked up thing, everything yeah. that happens that people are like, why didn't this happen? There should be a tweet being like, it was because of us. We did that. Like when they when they were like, oh, we cut the camera away from SCU's hug. Remember that at the <laughs> yeah. end of that match, right? That. <laughs> That's the kind of shit they should be doing over and over again. And they should be pulling weird shit, like, on the tag division, right? Like, (laughs) let's get that freaking division going again. They should be doing stuff like that. Like, that would make some of this stuff, like... And everybody says, heel bucks are the best bucks. It's it's non-negotiably true. And... I just think they should lean into it as much as possible and and just make people insane. Like you're gonna make them insane anyway. Like make them legit insane. I, I'm I'm so excited by this. I think there's so much potential in it. Um, and I was somebody who was, you know, because we can talk about this in in terms of Jack Perry too, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, I think there's definitely some danger spots in saying our booking is going to be about the CM Punk situation without being directly about the CM Punk situation, right? There's not, it's, it's not without its dangers to it. That, that said, there's a lot of possibility and potential there too. And I think it's not something that, you know, I think if we've ever seen is the young bucks don't shy away from that kind of stuff when it comes to their careers and their, their, storytelling the thing is i don't even think they need to lean that hard into that and i think they will lean more into just we're evps so we can abuse our power and you can lean into that (laughs) far more quite easily and it's incredible like how little they have to do and how enraged people get but it's great because it's like are you gonna go so the the way i look at it is like so you hate them yeah do you want to see them get them their heads punched it great okay or kicked in or whatever will you pay for it and that's the line, isn't it? As soon as you have that heel and you want to see that person beat that heel, great, great. That's how you make money. You don't make money at having loads of people who you don't really have a clear alignment for. I don't think. You can do odd stories. So yeah, Swerve and Hangman is a story where you can see alignments changing and you're going to have to make good on that. Oh. You know, If you don't, then you're just going to kill whoever you match them with. So, But the whole thing is, is that they're just going to be the biggest assholes in the company. They're gonna look like the biggest assholes in the company with their mustache. I was um, mustache. Mustaches are for good, and mustaches are also for evil. Trish, I think we learned that the last two weeks. Um, But I like the idea of moving it as well into kind of a legend killer thing. So and people and there were people are like, oh, it's not like completely logical. Great, they're heels. I don't want them to make complete sense. I don't want it to be like, it, you know, actually, yeah, the, the, there's not 100% logic in what they do. Great, because they should be kind of, um, you know, not all thinking about it. I always think of it, you, you know, like in Shrek, when Lord Farquaad was kind of like, you know, some of you may die, but that's a price I'm willing to pay. So like, Sting's <laughs> kind of like that. So it's like, yeah, I want to get rid of all of you, and I don't really want to get rid of him, but it's going to have to be a start. You're going to start somewhere. 
Um. I just think like we've talked about this and I feel like when we talked about full gear, I ranted a lot about suspending disbelief and I, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I'm ha- it, it's, it's professional wrestling folks. <laughs> it's a bunch of adults in their underwear, pretend fighting with each other. I'm suspending a lot of disbelief already. Okay. Sure. So like, like I'm leaning into the suspension of disbelief. As long as you create that universe where your storytelling is coherent and, and has, has, the narrative moves forward. I will hand wave away a little shit here and there. I have no problem with that. But like, as long as there's a structure and a point and we're going someplace together and the journey is a good time, like, you know? And people are so quick to jump on like one little thing and you're like, some of the best heel turns, you know, the Bucks heel turn in 2021 was great. It started with that really shitty turn on John Moxley that just looked like crap. And everyone was like, I don't know about this. (laughs) Two weeks later, they came out as the most atrocious little trolls in one of the, I think it was the um, Kingston and, no, it was Phoenix and Pac. Yes. They came out that match and they looked like, and all of a sudden it just took off. And it was the same with, I think about um, Shawn Michaels, when Shawn Michaels turned on Hulk Hogan in 2005. And the first promo with Piper was kind of like, okay. But then, like, two weeks later, it was the funniest and best thing ever. Then he pissed Hogan off in a way that, God, all these people that moan about, like, Hangman and Punk, like, Hangman's Line to Punk would probably have a complete meltdown if, uh, <laughs> with the way Hogan took some of the stuff that Michaels did and said in that feud. And then, obviously, Michaels um, bounced around like a little pinball in that match. So you want to talk about, yeah, like, going into business for yourself. Well, <laughs> there you go. And people forget about some of these things. So that, that's uh, one of the biggest pure examples. Um, but yeah, so these heel turns, it's not one promo, it's where it becomes. And if they be able to turn this into something that they can use to create regular heel heat and you have heels on this roster, because heels on this roster are going to be really important this year. You've got baby faces coming in. You know, people come yeah. in are a baby face. Yes. Danielson at the moment is a heel, yeah. but the nearer they get to the day in August, he's going to be a baby face. Yes. Whether yes. they like, want him to or not. Yeah. So if you are looking for somewhere as to kind of rebuild your career or to revitalize yourself or to move up the probably the answer is just trying to be top heels i absolutely I, think that's the answer um no the, i don't disagree i think it's it's they definitely need some strong dynamics to to build some programs around and mm-hmm. i think i don't want to say that people have been tweeners because i don't think that's necessarily true but i don't think we've had some like absolute you know shit heels to really people like you said want, root people against. don't people don't want to be because you know that doesn't always get you over in aw doesn't right. get you over the crowd doesn't always get you over with tony you know you need that momentum of that kind of you know so it's hard to kind of be that way because of the way that company works that's where it is kind of different for better or for worse in wwe but you know they will do that and they will make it fun and, you know, the last thing I'd say about FDR, I'm, I'm tired of whining, you know, they had the belts for a year, did nothing practically with did them outside of the, we covered you know, that. the two matches. But the funny thing was, do you remember when um, they should have really lost the belts with Max and uh, Adam Cole? Yes. Which happened to be the hottest time for the tag division all year last yeah. year? Yeah. yeah. So how they didn't really want to have fun and they refused to have a kind of fun wrestling match like the previous ones and it had to be a straight wrestling match. Oh yeah, there was a lot of yeah. little comments about the dancing and yeah, where, no know, dancing. Is... So there was no dancing in that match, and they Dead didn't want to play the they didn't want to play the heels, and they got stroppy about it. You remember the whole um, play our music with the champion stuff? Yep, 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 yeah, yep. I was there. This is Sting, right? So one, the Bucks will lose to Sting if 
if it's if that's what he wants, they will yes. just do it. They yes. have no qualms about that. They are not there to steal his clout, which is funny because some of the people that will say that all tend to be aligned towards FDR, who really are quite good at that. Um, but they were very much into a thing where they were not willing, one, to put over Max and Cole, but they didn't want any part of that. They didn't want to play the heels. They didn't want to be the guys that weren't cheered for. That's not helpful here. You want no. people who just want who will just play the bad guys because to give Sting that ultimate moment. And that's what these guys are doing. And that's why it should be them in that position. And that's why the division should rebuild around them. You've got all these young teams, all these reforming teams, all these teams coming back. They need that leadership. They need somebody to elevate them. But then they also need somebody to play across to get them in front of that crowd and interrupt that crowd. Because, you know, the the the, the downside of what we said earlier is, so you've got all these singles guys wrestling a lot more. That yep. may mean that tag kind of goes to a side in some aspects. So you are going to have to make the most of your moments. So you need to be in there with the right people. Yeah. And that's how this division is going to progress. There is no one better. I'm sorry. There's just no one better in this year to rebuild that division than the Bucks. Well, we've seen it. it it's again, like we, we, it's, we talk the same thing about the rankings. Like we saw a year of FTR, you know, with the tag division. Mm-hmm. It was it, it it's like the least well-reviewed, you know, the tag division is not in a good place and it hasn't been for a while. Right. And I think some of that is like, you know, I think there's a, an element of like team spirit sometimes where you're like, this is not the best thing for me, but this is the best thing for the group. And I can understand in, especially in wrestling, where that's a difficult mentality to have at <laughs> times because you sacrifice yourself, you know, the, the person doesn't necessarily return the favor to do that for you. But I think that's one of those things sometimes where, again, I'm hopeful that the people coming in don't have that the 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 opposite attitude which is i think what we've seen so much from a lot of these like 2020 late 2021 on you know AEW acquisitions and not all of them and i want to make sure i make that clear you know there are people that came in you know that have been like what do you need me to do i'm here and i mean this is one of those things where you just got to look at swerve strickland the guy mm-hmm. got over in losing the guy proved value by losing. Like, yes, did he get opportunities where obviously he beat Hangman and everything else? But like, you know, he was perfectly happy to go out there and be beaten by Tanahashi. Like, you know, he. I think that's one of those things that I think. But he took his shot. He took a shot. He took a like, shot in a way that you know people talk about Ricky Starks. That's the other yeah. one I'm bored of hearing about. Ugh. He had every shot you could think of. He didn't take his shot. He didn't make no. his mark. He didn't change any business. No. You know, he did nothing that actually was momentous. And all you get is people crying about it on Twitter. I don't care. He had every opportunity in the world. In in AEW, you don't get the opportunities in a way in WWE as in like waiting for someone to give you them. You have to take them or you will stay in the slot that you are in. And well, Swerve went out and he took that, you know, he took that opportunity. He got to work with a guy that was giving. And that's a big deal as well because not everybody in obviously. the main event isn't. But he took it and he ran with it. And that's it. That's why he is where he is. And Ricky Stark is where he is. Well, I think the other big piece of that is willingness to change, right? Mm-hmm. Willingness to try something, say, ah, this isn't totally cutting it. I got to do something a little bit different, right? And we've talked about this before. FTR and Ricky Starks are static characters. They do not change. They do not grow. Nothing is different about them, regardless of their alignment, regardless of like what they go through. They, like, How is Dax Harwood a different character than he was the day he showed up at Daly's Place? He's not. There's no journey. There's no, no journey. Right. How can you have a destination that people right. have like an energy towards if there's no journey? Right. Just... It's basic storytelling. Basic protagonism. 
essentially. And like, mm-hmm. we saw this with Swerve. Swerve has gone on a journey. Swerve tried some shit that did not work, right? The first iteration of the Mogul Embassy was not good, right? <laughs> that went away and he tried something different. I think it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, if you're going to be the same character forever, you're going to limit yourself so much because like the person who changes is always going to be the more interesting person, the more interesting character. And I just, I don't know. That's a, that's a secondary piece of that. Right. Which I think would help those guys significantly, especially Ricky Starks where it's like, you know, and I don't want to, again, nobody's trying to put anything on Ricky Starks. He's a very good upper mid card wrestler. He's got a spot in the card, but like the endless whinging about how, like, I haven't been given opportunities. You've okay. had a, you've had programs with every, practically every main eventer in a company other than Kenny Omega. Right. Right. Like if you, if that's not enough, I don't know what is, you right. know, and you're competing with guys like Swerve who take that one opportunity and they run with it and do all the groundwork. You're also competing with guys coming back into it, like Hangman, who can be seen for no months at all, and then can come in and just throw out the feud of the year and add fifteen thousand pay per view buys on late buys. Right. You have to do something to move it yourself. You can't just, yeah. That is, you know, that's the hard part about AEW. And well, it does that- seem sometimes like the people who bitch the most get rewarded for it, right? Yeah, there's been examples of that as well, and you know. That's not always great, but it feels different. I don't know. Um, and I don't it know. It does feel a little different. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I'm, I'm more <laughs> optimistic than I've been in a while. And we'll see how that shakes out. Um, and there's still concerns. Oh, yeah. But it does at least feel that certain performances in the second half of the year have been rewarded. Yeah. And there is a little bit more freedom to it. So, you know, the thing about having Samoa Joe as champion is. And as much as, you know, there's still some concerns about it. People still see him in some ways. They still see him as, like, you know, a TNA WWE guy. Okay. But he isn't sitting in Q1 all the time. No. He's not doing 35, 40-minute slots on TV. He's freeing up time for other people. Yes, and that in, And then that's allowing more of them, as you spoke about earlier, it's allowing more promo time for people. You know, we're hearing other people's voices, which then allows other people to elevate. So you're not securing your own spot by pre- preventing that. And at the same time, you know, he is that kind of dominant figure that he is respectable in that position. You know, he's not going to be a merch seller. He isn't. No. They know that. He, you know, tickets. Tickets is really funny at the moment because their management of tickets since Raphael departed has been really, really poor. So yeah. I won't put anything on anybody in regards to tickets in the last few weeks you know they've got a huntsville show coming up in alabama just before revolution that the cheapest ticket to get in is 81 dollars, and hasn't that map hasn't been updated in two weeks you know so it feels very harsh to stick that on anybody when that's kind of really blatant mismanagement going on but yeah. you know his tv ratings are good they're great and that's the biggest thing this year because that's the kind of strongest point he's also a really good media guy you know, he has interest because he's doing the um, the Twisted Metal show. Yep. Uh, the involvement with other projects as well. He had an interview with ESPN um, this past week. The first interview with ESPN since uh, Punk's interview before Collision. Yep. Yeah, there was nothing around All In. There was nothing around any other big event. That's the first nope. one. That's uh, a change in that media relationship. So that's important as well. So in his role... I think he's great because he's just opening up all this space for everybody else. Well, and things feel fresher. 
Yeah. Right? Like the last two weeks, things have felt fresh. And I think some of it is Joe and obviously the lack of MJF. I think some of it was Mox and Danielson and mm-hmm. um, even Eddie being gone. You know, they were in Japan for a couple of weeks. They weren't on TV. Like it, it definitely gave other people opportunities, you know, and that's a positive sometimes. You, like you, we've said, you just got to mix the scene up a little bit. Yeah, and we said it with NXT as well. You know, their yeah. re- ratings rebounded not just because they brought all these other people; they rebounded before because it went to a, a different main event. They lost that black and gold era. Well, they picked them all up in AW, but <laughs> the, you know that that era had moved, and then you had all these new characters and journeys to invest in. You weren't yes. overexposed to somebody; you hadn't been, you know. And the days of seeing somebody for five, ten, fifteen years in the same promotion you know, had kind of felt like we hadn't seen as much of that. And then all of a sudden it's been something to kind of get back used to. You know, you've had five years of Chris Jericho. Right. In the same kind of space. John Moxley's the same character for the last five years. Heel face, right. tweener, whatever. You know, Adam Page has been a face for five years. That's not, and Darby Allen. you know, that's not easy. No. Especially in this day and age. And there is this balance between, you know, you have especially your younger part of your audience is addicted to kind of debuts and things happening. And how do you balance that with trying to build longer term stories, which are the things that inevitably actually sell you tickets and will lead you to more sustained TV ratings. But in terms of this year, you know, it's a, it's a TV year. They're going to want as many shock things as possible because you'll get that spike in 18 to 34 and anything that brings that ratings up. And it's a big year for competition as well. Yeah. You know, there's Olympics this year. Olympics yeah. this year. Yeah. Around. Um, there election. is election. Yeah. Big time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be huge, you know? So, and just like, they've got slight advantages. There is going to be no, um, thunder pump on Wednesday night. That's right. It's moving to Tuesdays. Yeah, it's moving to Tuesdays. Finally, somebody told Dave, cause we've been saying it for about four weeks. <laughs> I would, <laughs> I would, this is a side note, but I feel like my, my dream having an, an absolute but ton of money and being able to do anything I wanted with it would be to have Dave Meltzer review Vanderpump rules. Like, <laughs> like he does wrestling. Like I wanted to come in and do a war recap and like fight with Brian about what Lisa Vanderpump's doing. Like, I don't think you understand what Tom Tom means to these guys. Like <laughs> he writes Sorry. the funniest reports of shows sometimes in the observer. I think he wrote on this week, a collision. He's like, hangman was flying around all over the place. And had this <laughs> image of him as some sort of seagull. <laughs> he just, oh, he, oh. He, they, they tickle me. But yeah, no, so they have no Vanderpump. So you have potential to hold more of your female audience in the spring than you did yeah. last year. And speaking of the female audience, <laughs> I was doing a transition. I jumped the gun, girl. <laughs> I was trying to be clever. Somebody said you've got to be like, like it's like oh, someone said to me earlier, it's like, are you a professional? And I was like, eh, oh yeah, I don't know. professional podcaster. <laughs> Trish is not allowed to subtweet anymore, <laughs> especially not about football. Yeah, less less about that. The better. There we are. Um. <laughs> so yeah, let's talk about the ladies and the last couple weeks, uh, especially as yeah. it relates to our favorite mustachioed cowman. <laughs> uh, 
so one of the things that, and I, I think we need to give a shout out, especially to Brandon Thurston and Reckle, mm-hmm. WrestleNomics, because yes. as two girls who love data. And uh, I've just ra- we, I've rated his spreadsheets this week. Rated his spreadsheets. <laughs> like, absolutely adore data. Absolutely love this man. Provides us with this data every week and does it in a wonderful fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that happened last week on Collision was the um, ratings were down. There was a playoff football game. There was a bunch of competition. Expected ratings were down. They did like a .10 in the mm-hmm. uh, 18 to 49 demo. So all the demos, what, what Brandon Thurston does is he keeps a rolling, if you, if you don't subscribe to him, and we can't recommend it highly enough, but he keeps a rolling four-week average of whatever the breakdown in the demo is. So he's not comparing week to week. He's comparing it to the four-week rolling average, which analytically makes a lot of sense. It takes out some of the noise of spikes of something weird. So because of the way that the data was set up this, this week for that collision, the demos were across the board down, right? And you could see the variance. He had it like laid out, you know, negative 25%, negative 40%. All the way down the list until you got to women, 35 to 49. <laughs> and that number was plus 48. <laughs> Over the last four week average, yeah. Over the last four week average, plus 48, yeah. okay? Like, I, I, it's one of those things where it's just freaking so obvious. And the, the dynamite number was also up, although not quite as aggressively, because obviously dynamite in general has a lot more female viewers than collision does. We've talked about that repeatedly. Women have fled collision. Women 35 to 49 were interested in collision when it started. They really tried. They came back a few times. And then starting in like October-ish, they were like, see you later. The show is not for us. And there was a little bit more interest in the Connie, but like opposed, as opposed to other demos, women 18 to 35 and 35 to 49 just have not come back to collision. Except for the last couple weeks. And last week especially, women 35 to 49, like that number flicking, flipping jumped, <laughs> right? Uh, 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 <laughs> and one of the things you brought up, Trish, that I think is fascinating is that, and we had talked about this at one point, that the predictable demos for women, the older women were more into John Moxley and the younger women were more into... Um, uh, Hangman. And that's mm-hmm. kind of aged up. Hangman's yeah. demo's gotten older. <laughs> so we've always made the joke, right, that he appears on a show and you watch the women's jo- demo go up and everyone looks at you and you're like, well, what do you think's happening? Duh. <laughs> but, like, um, but I like data. So I always like to base things in numbers. So here's the kind of the difference. So if you look at the last 11 times the Page was in an advertised match on TV. Right. So in the female audience for them episodes has been nine percent nine point six percent up on the previous week and three percent up on the previous four weeks. When you split that down, it's um quite dram- it used to be it was quite dramatic. So female eighteen thirty four was up uh, on the previous week each time by eighteen point ten percent on average. And the previous four weeks was two percent. And the reason there's quite a lot of differentiation with that is some of these ones have followed really big episodes. So, for example, he uh, had a contract signing with Swerve the week after Grand Slam. Yeah. So you're gonna get some natural deviation, but the idea is to give yourself enough of a kind of a sample size that you can see the difference. But then, yeah, thirty-five to forty-nine previous week average over the last eleven appearances five point two percent. Previous four week seven percent. But the thing that's happened in the last four weeks, so ever since the Swerve stuff, right, this story has captivated the story part of the audience. And we know full well from looking at uh, Max and Cole that women 33rd to 49 were the most invested in that storyline. Yes. They carried the numbers. They carried that increase in numbers and how, that, how well that performed over the summer. 
and it did perform well. And that's the thing. And mm-hmm. we talk, we want to understate this, right? Because the the stuff with Max and the Better Than You Bebe stuff, that ended badly. And post-September, I don't think any of us were particularly enjoying it. But I no. think it's important to remember and not to retroactively like create a narrative. That shit was hot over the summer. And, yeah. and the women, 35 to 49, their biggest number ever for Collision, beyond the premiere of the show, beyond anything else, was for that tag match between Cole and Max and FTR. Like, that number was freaking enormous. They've never come close to that. No. And the thing is, so, but when you look at the last four appearances of Hangman, this is where you can see the difference. This is where you can see the impact. I don't know if it's the moustache. I don't know if it's him just coming back into being <laughs> a regular player. I don't know if this is just a finally a conversion of these numbers. Because sometimes that's the thing. It's like you have all this time and you convert as a ratings draw in general, especially if you're a new person, especially if you're, you know, you're not previous from WWE, but you, you know, you're finding your success in AEW. You start with 18 to 34 yeah. because they get interest, they get hyped in you. And that's where you can see some of Swerve's numbers are, tend to be in melee in 34 at the moment because that's your starting point. You are growing your audience and your audience grows with you. Well, hey, he's now been in this company for five years and we're now seeing this age upwards. So if you look at the last four weeks, right, 18 to 49, the last four times he's been on TV, that episode has gone up uh, 15.2% over the previous week and 12% over the previous four weeks. It's getting bigger. 18 to 34, not as great in terms of... So previous week, yeah, 15%. Previous four weeks, 1%. 35 to 49. And we noticed this, but it's nice to actually see something in data, right? (laughs) So previous week, 16.7%. Previous four weeks, 24%. So 24% increase in f- viewers in female 35 to 49 in the last four times he's been advertised for a show. And this is your Canary in the Coal Mine demo. We've this talked is, about this. Yeah. This is your Canary in the Coal Mine demo. Where these gals go, the rest of your people are going to follow. Like, dude, come on. And this is, you know, th- there's important things for this. So we've seen all the WBD stuff around 25 to 54. Yep. They're highlighting that older age group. So being big in that demo is important. There's also the big thing. The person, people that are successful in that demo are really big. You, Jeez, how can I talk today? I really use quite a lot in opening the show because yes. they convert well from the Big Bang Theory audience. And it's funny because with the Big Bang Theory audience, you know, there has been a real change in that number. But I remember seeing, so you know when um, they did the Joe Page promo and into Roderick Strong on the uh, Winner is Coming show? Yes. And the first quarter did one, 1.092. Biggest first quarter in, so 1.098. God, I can't even read my own numbers. Um, <laughs> but everyone was like, oh my God, where is that number come from? And people just went, oh, it's the lead in. Oh, it's the lead in. Well, that lead in was 1.157 million. The week after, it was 1.193 million. And they only did 964,000. So whether you say it's the lead-in or not, there's no question. I can look at the numbers. You know, I look at that number there. I look at this Claudio number as well. And what you can see is, is he is retaining more than others in that position. And I don't think he's ever been able to do that before. I think he's been put in that position and it tends to have been like XWB guys to go in that position that do well. Yes. So Jericho, Moxley has always been in that position because of that. And this is the first time that he's really kicked into that because, yeah, on that one, yeah, the he retained far more than they did the week before and far more after. So, and this is the thing. So Big Bang Theory, the last, I count them now, eight weeks 
has been over a million viewers coming into it. And it's been between 0.2 and 0.25 in the demo. Yeah. So it's actually been quite consistent. And there is no relation in terms of the 35 to 49 numbers directly with the amount deleted. So it's not an automatic. It's not reading in data. It's like it's automatic. Oh, the lead-in's up. So we get this you know, increase in viewership and we get this increase in 35 to 49. No, the right people have to convert that. And that's a skill. And that doesn't maybe sound important. And people look at it and go, oh, you know, the second quarter was this doesn't matter if you have somebody who can convert that on a more regular basis or you can increase the field of people that do that it increases their value because you're adding something to the end line of that episode it might be the difference between a 0.32 and a 0.33 but that may make a major difference going into tv negotiations so that's his calling card you know and he's a dark horse issue i don't expect him to get the belt i've said it enough times but his argument for heavier placement is there and if they are going to bring new people in and you are going to have to settle people into the structure you know, they can't afford to lose 24% of their women 35 to 49 audience. No. So he's going to have to be placed strongly. Well, this is where, like, again, you and I talk a lot about this. The numbers are there. And I think that's part of the question as to why you and I are like, why aren't you using this dude more? Like, <laughs> the package, it's the full package. Like, Jesus Christ. And I also think, like, realistically, from a booking standpoint, I think the most exciting thing you could do is have a three-way revolution where mm-hmm. Hangman cheats to win – Right. And Swerve, then there's a double turn and Swerve chases his ass all the way to either double or nothing or sometime in the summer. And I know you say you don't think it's likely and I'm pretty confident it's not likely either, but it would be probably the most exciting thing you could do with that title. It gives you guys, you're going to have the story. The story is hot with their, with their loyal audience. Yeah. It's hot with that. And that's, you have to be careful of throwing that to one side, but the numbers are there. And I think that's the exciting thing for all three of them. That's why, yeah, absolutely you should look at the freeway is all three of their numbers in different, you know, Swerve topped the estimates for WrestleNomics for merch sales in December. Yep. You know, he's he's had a couple of episodes that have done well for big matches. He's, you know, people that look for that and say, oh, Swerve should be doing this. Ratings are so much harder to get to that point. Yeah. And, you know, when we've talked about ticket sales. So I don't look for that. But also, they're in this thing with this story where the characters are kind of changing their alliances and their allegiances in terms of their, you know, heel face, whatever. And yeah, at some point, you have to make a certainty of that. And if you did that and you had him chase, then you would increase that investment in it. And you would probably increase people's investment in him. You know, you have to be careful of not doing it too soon and then kind of overshadowing him with debut, 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 debut. So, right. Um yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And, you know, people talk about the rankings with that. They say, you know, why should Hangman be in that match when he's lost twice to Swerve? Or Swerve lost twice to John Moxley. So should Moxley be in the match? Right. It's a difficult <clears throat> one. And that's where, you know, they talk about rankings resetting the start of the year and the records reset the start of the year as well. You have right. your lifetime record, but you have your year record. And they're both probably going to be 3 and 0 going into this year. They're playing on it a lot, though. They're playing on, like, the Swerve beat Hangman twice. That I'm not sure if they're not going to run something before revolution um it's kind of you know normally you'd shy away from that if you were trying to hide from it so i don't know but it's it's an interesting time to have so many people with momentum you know it's 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 super interesting and it's one of those things where we talked about at the beginning when it came to osprey and okada that like you have to have a plan and i think you do have to have a plan but i think one of the things that that tony khan has unfortunately been we've seen over five years of booking is that once he has a plan, he's reluctant to move away from that plan, (laughs) even when it's not freaking working. Right. So, you know, you would hope that 
the data and the support of like the audience would kind of be like, hey, maybe we should stick with this stuff and like run with it a little bit longer at least and you know, see where it takes us, right? But I think while you and I are certainly a lot more positive lately, I don't know if I have totally given up my <laughs> trust wrestling is, trauma of 2023. Yeah, <laughs> like, look, like, tr trust is... Trust always takes much more to gain back yeah, exactly. than it does to initially build. So, But I also don't want to be greedy. I don't want to be greedy. No. Hangman has been in seven matches in 2023, and in 2024 I'm going to see him four times or three times in like two weeks. So, like, you know what I mean? Who, please, right? There's storylines. There's feuds. There's, there's my fun guys are back. Like, I can't complain that much. No, and the important thing is, it's, you know, the way that WWE got hot was they had multiple people with momentum. Yeah. And they paid them off to an extent. So, yeah, they didn't convert Sami Zayn. And I still think that's a bit of a failure. Yeah. But they had then him and Kevin Owens, they gave them that moment. So that part of that fan base, it rolled on. Then you had the Uso stuff, that rolled on. Then you had LA Knight, that rolled on. Then you've now he's... got these returns with... He's, he's weakening, but I don't think... Yeah. He was... He's one of them guys where you get hot, but I don't disagree it with... It wasn't going to go long term. Yeah, I don't disagree with that either. Um... But then you've got, yeah, then you can play into your returns of your, your Punk and your Randy Orton and whoever else. So you have that momentum of multiple people. And, you know, we'll see if that changes. Will they pay Cody off? Or will they throw the rock back in? We don't know. Will there be detriments in terms of you put a title onto Punk and you make all these other things? Especially when you see, you know, episodes that he has, you know, he was on the week before, did the same rating as last week, with last week had more competition. His right. quarter did great, but the episode did slightly better last week. So you have that balance with people. So this is the same thing that both companies are kind of facing, but with AEW, you have people with momentum for the first time in quite some time. If you can magnify that time. and you can increase that and you you know the Bucks can get some momentum back into tag division, you know, you you should probably have someone come out that you don't even see come in. You know, if you can add to that with, and that's the key. So you want these additions, you know, Osprey, and then potentially Monet and Okada. You want these additions to add to that, to encourage that momentum forward, but not to constrain it like it did in 2021, 2022, right. ultimately. Right. Yeah. But we are that's quite us. happy today. It's quite nice, isn't it? I know. Isn't I, no like gonna yell like I like positive yelling, right? No one's going <laughs> to like it. They're going to be like, why were you so happy? Like, you're not allowed to be happy. Got to be Listen, sad. Negativity sells, baby. Yeah. That's what we've learned. Uh, <laughs> allegedly. You know, allegedly. I'm allowed to be negative because I'm British, right? That's my accent, right? <laughs> <laughs> so they tell me. Oh, well. Mm. <laughs> No, there are things to be positive about, and I think, you know, it feels like a more positive outlook across, you know, even New Japan, so you have the loss of a card, but some of their upcoming cards are quite interesting. You want to see what they do with certain divisions now, it opens up opportunities, sometimes that's interesting as well, and there has been a kind of static main well, in if you New Japan for a very long time. If you've been watching New Japan and you've been frustrated at the way that they've handled their booking and you felt that it's been static, you know, even though this is something that you don't want, losing Okada, at the very least, you'd hope it would be a wake-up call to say, hey, we oh. got to start doing something differently. They've got to push some of these young guys. Yeah. They have to. And, you know, there's a interest in that in itself. 
as a yeah. as a you know a, as a beacon of interest. You know what will they do with the Musketeers this year? Right? Are they are they finally going to push Hiromo up as a heavyweight? And he doesn't need to stay there. Like Liger had to step in as a heavyweight when they needed him. This is a similar thing. You know, he Liger's his idol. You need to step up, Catman. You need to step up. <laughs> You know, you need put that to on ma- a t-shirt. Camo, uh, he's put many things on a t-shirt. I own about <laughs> half of them. Um, but <laughs> you need to step up and you need to be the guy aiming for that main event at, you know, Wrestle Kingdom next year. That surely should be. And then, you know, because the thing is, is people say, oh, we need to put one of the Musketeers in Wrestle Kingdom. Maybe we do. But you maybe won't because of the size of that venue. They will always right. go with a guaranteed draw. And they've done that in pretty much every fed in Japan. But it is interesting. And their US card, you know, the, the, the Windy City Riot card is, um, God, it's, it's definitely the biggest strong show they've ever run. Not just in terms of venue, but in terms of a top match. You know, you managed to get John Moxley, Tetsuya Naito. Yeah. It's not just straight out of my brain, by the way. Although Master <laughs> Ali and Hiromu might be as well. But, um, yeah, I, I think I wrote that card. I sent it to Tanahashi. Uh, but, yeah, you're, you're securing matches. And this is that part of that thing where... You're not, it's not like with, you know, people talk about the New Japan relationship with AEW and all this poaching stuff, but AEW have a need to keep New Japan happy in some way because it's all the spheres of influence in Japanese wrestling where right. they don't want WWE sneaking in on their territory. Like that. No. And all of a sudden we've got Tetsuya Naito and John Moxley. And I know you can never stop John Moxley working in Japan. It's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. No. But these are sometimes some of the benefits and it does feel like there's more to look forward to this year than last year uh just as a creativity point across kind of wrestling so yeah well it just feels like that long slog of like october november december is over and you know and i do hope like again i i didn't enjoy the end of mjf's reign but i hope he comes back reinvigorate reinvigorated and healthy and going okay this is what worked this is what didn't work this is what i've learned from my experience like you know and and takes that because that's one of the things i always find sort of frustrating is people who are like you know mjf should never come back and i'm just like this is an extremely talented 27 26 year old guy you're gonna throw that away like look at some of the top main eventers that you currently see in all of these different promotions and like where were those guys and what were they doing in 27 were they in their full final forms they weren't so like you know if mjf can change and grow and and do things differently then he certainly has the opportunity to be even better than he currently is which is pretty fucking good quite honestly even if his instincts are not always what they need to be just yeah maybe don't trap him in a three month view with adam cole in this oh, current in England. <laughs> oh never mind at least during <laughs> quarter seven right okay um i'll land though see I can be miserable too. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think we'll we'll kind of wrap there. So you can find us now. We live on the Social Suplex Podcasting Network. Haven't been thrown off yet. How many weeks have we got till that's a record? I think other people thrown. <laughs> 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 oh, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. No, we are proud to be part of that network. You can find us on all the streaming channels and on the youtube as well it's our new youtube home we are produced by the wonderful leah of tunnel talk who has to do too much work honestly too to much put work. Up with her, to put up with us we uh, could you... not do this show without her absolutely literally um, literally <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so yes, thank you very much, Leah. You can contact us at trishandsarahpod at gmail.com, trishandsarahpod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter, or X, just Twitter. Just Twitter. Yeah, at Sarah at trishandsarah. Um, we have some some fun on there, although I don't think I can be trusted with that account. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a good job, really, isn't it? It, it really is. Uh, but yeah, you can find us there if you want to give us any feedback, if you have any questions, have any feelings, emotions. You know, want to say you really agree with something, or want to say you really hate something? Please tell us what you think about the rankings. I really like the rankings, but I know other people feel differently. Do you have good memories, bad memories, inconsistent memories? You know, whatever you want to talk about. Uh, and we will be back in two weeks. Uh, before we go, Sarah, who's winning the Royal Rumble? Oh, God. <sighs> I'll say CM Punk just for the lols. Okay. <laughs> and the chaos. <laughs> He might not have a champion to face, but we'll see what happens by the no. time this thing goes out. Okay, I'm going to go with a rock because I just think that would be maximum chaos and maximum crying, and I'm all here for crying today. <laughs> all right, so until next time, I've been Trish. I've been Sarah. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.